Welcome. How are we doing? Great. I'm just saying, you should be doing great, man. You got an extra hour of sleep last night. Thanks for coming to our 1045 service today. That is fantastic. Man, so glad you're here. I'm fired up, not only because I got an extra hour of sleep, but because we're starting this new series called Three to Five. And if you don't know, we, we talk in series around here for the most part, and sometimes that means we'll go over a book of the Bible. Sometimes that means we'll talk about an objective or talk about vision. And today, one of these series that we're starting is called Three to Five, and it's a series of messages. And today is going to be a series about vision. So for the next month, we're going to talk about vision as a church, and that's why I'm so excited. Again, I think I just lined it up to give me an extra hour of sleep so I could knock it out, all right? So if you got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 6. Six. Acts chapter 6 is where, where we're going to be. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. only have five slides today. doesn't mean that the, the sermon's going to be any shorter, all right? Um, but we're going to look at a story and help us understand how that shapes vision as a church. And so, as always, before we jump into this text together, let's pray and ask God to bless it, all right? Would you pray with me? Father, we want to always stop and acknowledge the fact that we are utterly dependent upon you. We are completely dependent upon your Holy Spirit to open our eyes. God, we know that nobody is saved unless the Holy Spirit draws them. And so, God, we ask you to do that today. Thank you for those of us who have been saved. But, God, I pray for those that are watching or listening that haven't been. God, would you move in their life? And, God, as we open up this word today, I pray that you would open our ears, our eyes, to see the truth in it. And then to take to heart what what happened in this story, God, and how we as a body, as a church, as a people of God on the move, how we can learn from it and challenge us and change us. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 6, where we're going to be, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll work our way down to verse 7, but I'm going to read verse 1 to kind of give you context for what's going on here, and then we'll get to the rest of it, all right? Verse 1, it says, now in these days... When the disciples were, what's that next word there? Increasing. Now, again, if you're new, i like for you to call and respond. Even if you're watching or listening on the radio, you can talk back to me. All right, let's try that again. When the disciples were what? Increasing. All right, it's the same word that he's going to use in verse 6 in a minute. It means multiplying. We're increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, Let's understand context of what's happening here. Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts, and he is giving us literally the Acts of the church or the Acts of the Apostles. That's why it's called that book. And so it tells us what happened. It's, it's descriptive. It's describing what happened in early church history, and it's telling us these things. And then we can look at that somewhat prescriptively and think, okay, what happened then? If it's the same God, what can we take from that to happen now? And so in this first context that I want you to see, I love how Luke says, now in these days, he doesn't really tell us when it is. We know this is obviously sometime after when Jesus went to heaven, Pentecost happened, so probably a couple years afterwards because the church in Jerusalem was growing drastically. So he says, now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. And that word there, increasing, that I had you read uh, or had you say is the word for multiply. Again, it's the same Greek word that he's going to use later in verse 6 where he actually uses the word multiply. So the concept is that multiplication was happening. Now, I love that Luke just says in these days when this was happening. 
I don't know about you, but I want these days to be like those days, right? I want these days today, 2018, heading into 2019, and it's not 2018, that's way too hard to say, just say 2018, all right, let's just get it, settle it now before we even get to the new year, all right? 2018, these days, I want these days to be like those days. And what was happening in those days that is happening in these days around the world, it may not be happening in North America or in this context, and I'll explain more about that in just a second, is what was happening in those days that we want to happen in these days is multiplication. That's what was happening. And so this series that we're talking about called Three to Five is a vision series, and it's about our vision as a church to be a multiplication church, a church that is multiplying disciples. That is vision. Now, let me explain to you why the numbers three to five. Now, it's not three numbers, just two numbers, three, T-O, five, all right? It's not the number two, because that'd be too confusing. So three, two, five. What does that mean? One of our ministry partners is a group called Exponential, and they do conferences every year, and they help pastors think exponentially. And so as a church, uh, whether you know it or not, we're a part of that, and we've got a church planning network here that we're a part of. And, and our church, we, we attend that, we lead that, I even teach at that. And, and, and a few years ago, Exponential, at their conference, had a theme about multiplication. It's really kind of the theme of the whole deal. And they talked about this survey that they had done of all churches in the North American context. And so they surveyed all churches and then came up with levels, levels one through five. So one, two, three, four, five. And then uh, studying all the churches, they ranked them on which level they are. So let me tell you the levels and then I'll give you the percentages. All right. Level one is a church and again, North American context, not of the world, just North American context. A level one church is a church that's in decline. They are declining. They are not growing. They are not seeing converts. They're not seeing disciples made. You know, people aren't getting saved, getting baptized, all that kind of stuff. There's not growth that's happening. Level two is a church that's plateaued. So you got subtraction, right? You got people that are declining, churches that are declining. Then level two are churches that are plateaued. They're not currently in decline yet. They're not losing people, but they're not growing. They're not adding people. Now, here's what stunned me. In the North American context, there's, you know, depending upon how you look at it, 400 to 500,000 churches. 400 to 500,000. 80% of them, 80% are in those two levels. Level one and level two. Either declining or plateaued, declining, or plateaued. The scary thing about level two churches is they're plateaued, thinking they're level three churches, but they're headed for decline. 80% of churches are in those two levels. Now, level three is a growing church. Think addition. They are adding people every year, adding disciples Right? People trusting Jesus, getting baptized. The church is growing not only numerically, growing spiritually. And a lot of times in church world, again, we put those two together, like we, we put those two against each other, like growing spiritually and growing in number are somehow mutually exclusive. Like we talk about, you know, 
quality over quantity, and you have to have one or the other. And if you have, you know, if you go after both, you'll you'll not get either one. And so the concept for a level three church is they have quality. They're they're making disciples. They they you know they're doing the right things, but they also have quantity. People are growing. And pretty much for the history of Revolution Church, with some exceptions along the way, our church is a level three church. Our church is 13 years old. I've been here for eight and a half of those, almost nine in December and uh, January, be nine years. And, and there was a season where we had a little bit of level two, level one, because of some stuff that happened. But for the most part, our, from the, its inception, our church has been a level three church. We've been growing and growing and growing and adding new people. Now, that's good. Here's the problem, though, when you get to be a level three church. When you get to be a level three church, you start patting yourself on the back and saying, aren't we so great? Look, we're growing. And at that level, churches start getting complacent. And when they start getting complacent, then they start moving into level two without even knowing it. Now, in the North American context, 16% of the churches are level three, 16%, 80% level one and two, 16% and level three. Good news is that percentage has been growing some. Here's what we're saying when we use the terms or the numbers three to five. We are currently a level three church growing, not saying that arrogantly, please don't understand that, but God has blessed us greatly over the last 13 years. But what we're saying is this, we want to move to be a level four church and eventually a level five church. What is a level four church? A level four church is what is called a reproducing church. Again, you think about the growth cycle of a human being. You're born, you grow up, and the goal is to grow up physically, to grow up emotionally. How do you know that a child is at least physically mature when they can reproduce? That's how you know. A child goes through that awkward stage that we just call puberty, right, where all the weird stuff, hormones and all that stuff starts happening. After that, a child can reproduce. That's how you know they are physically mature. It's the same God. So the same God created us, not only physically, emotionally, spiritually, and When we are mature as believers, we will know that, not when we know a lot of scripture or just know a lot of Bible study or know a lot of information, but when we actually reproduce, when someone else is following Jesus because of us. And so as a church, what we're saying is, we, and, and we are, we're moving into level four where we're re, we've reproduced the campus, we're reproducing some other things outside the church, I'll tell you more about that in a little bit, but we're moving into that. And only 4% of churches in the North American context are reproducing churches, have reproduced something outside of themselves. Now, those of you that can do math, if you have 80% and then you have 16% and then you have 4%, add all that together, what do you get? You guys are so smart, right? 100%. So according to Exponential, in this math, level five is what's called a multiplying church. There are very few that fit that category enough, even statistically speaking, to not register into a full percentage. What is a multiplying church? A multiplying church is one that multiplies the mission of making disciples beyond its own local church. 
that multiplies the mission of making disciples, not just reproducing services, not just reproducing campuses, not just reproducing things outside the church, but actually multiplying them into new churches that then multiply themselves. And so here's what we're saying. We are currently a level three church. We want to move to, by God's grace, a level five church. Why? Because if we get complacent in being a level three church, it's only a matter of time before we're a level two and level one church. And our vision is not three to one, right? No one's vision should be that. Our vision is three to five. Why? Because that's exactly what you see in Acts chapter six. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. We're increasing in number. So let's break those two parts down because in those two parts, you see mission, you see vision. Mission is making disciples. It says the number of disciples So what is a disciple? A disciple, very simple, is someone who is learning from Jesus to live like Jesus. In the North American context, so often we don't use the term disciples. We talk more about decisions. And so people make a decision to trust Christ. People make a decision to go public with that decision of trusting Christ with the decision of baptism, which is basically their public profession of faith, not walking an aisle or filling something out. It's baptism. And those are good decisions. But sometimes in church world, we detach decision from the process of discipleship, and we see those as two different things. They're not. The commission that Jesus gave us was Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. That is the mission of the church. I don't make that up. You don't make that up because the church doesn't belong to us. We're not the head. Jesus is. So Jesus is the one who sets the mission of the church. Why does the church exist? If someone asks you that question, very simple. It exists to make disciples. Because that was the mission Jesus gave us. We even call it the Great Commission. But in that word, commission is what word? Mission. But here's the cool thing. That is Jesus' mission, but it's also a co-mission, which means we get to partner with him in it. It's co. He wants to do it with and through us. So the mission of the church is making disciples. How do we say that here at Revolution Church? Very simply, love Jesus, grow people. That's the mission of Revolution Church. That is not changing. It won't change. Why? Because Jesus sets the direction of that mission. Our church is built on two things. One, the person of Jesus, and two, the process of making disciples, of making disciples of people who follow Jesus. We just use the word grow. Grow is our word to say our mission of making disciples. And all we did for that is put a process to it. What is the process of making disciples? Well, the gospel, right? That's step one. This all comes out of Luke chapter eight, the parable of the soils. If you ever come to our welcome lunch or welcome dinner, I'll explain all that to you. If you've never come, you should come. If you have come four years ago, you should come again. All right, listen to it again, because it's helpful to be reminded of it. But the mission, very simply, step one, the gospel gets planted in your life. You trust Jesus, you're baptized, you live on mission. Now your life has changed. The R is relationships. That's the church. You join a team. You join a group. You join the church. You develop relational roots. O is obedience. Again, you see it in the Great Commission. Baptize them, teaching them to obey. Obedience, very simply. That's how we abide in Christ. We do what he says. 
That one, we have tried all kinds of things around here. Classes, events, Bible studies, conferences. And, and none of those things in and of themselves are bad. And some of those things we still do. But here's what, we've, what we're tweaking with our mission of making disciples. What we've realized is programs don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. People. And so we're going to be working. It's not all done yet. You'll see it over the next year. We're going to be rolling out a very simple process of being discipled into obedience. That happens, first and foremost, by our group leaders and team leaders discipling people into that. That doesn't mean it only happens there. That's just where we're starting it happen so that we can get away from this concept that if I need to grow, I got to go to this class. No, it's I need to be discipled by a person. Then the W, which is works, good works. What is the work? Making disciples. Here's the point. The mission of the church is making disciples. Yes and amen. But let me ask you a question. When you read Matthew 28, do you personalize that to yourself? The failure of a lot of people in the North American church context is they see Matthew 28 as the mission of the church, not the mission of their life. Do you feel personally responsible for the Great Commission? You don't have to answer out loud. But hear me say this. That's what you'll be judged on when you meet Jesus. Not your church attendance. Not I went to this Bible study. Not I went to this class. Again, those are good and right. But did you make disciples? That is the verb, that is the command or the imperative in the Greek in that verse. The word go is not the verb. The word baptize, the word teach is not the verb, is not the command. The command is make disciples. How do you make disciples? By going, baptizing, and teaching. Those are the how, the what, is make disciples. And Jesus will hold every single one of us personally responsible if we're his disciple. If we're learning to live like Jesus, we're learning to be like Jesus. Jesus told us, here's what I want you to do, and I did it. Watch how I did it over a three-year period. Now you go do it. So that's our mission as a church. And so what we're saying is we're coming back around that, clarifying we're not changing our mission. We're just going to change some of the ways that we do that from a program standpoint. Because if you've come to Welcome Lunch and Dinner, I've told you, don't fall in love with how we do it. The one thing that, change, that never changes around here is that things always change, right? We are not committed to a program. We are committed to a process, and that process is making disciples. That's our mission. That's the quality piece, all right? The quantity piece is the vision. The number of disciples multiplied or increased. That's the vision. Now, here is what is so important for us all to know. People talk about the church getting bigger like it's a bad thing. Well, I don't want this church to get too big. I don't really like a big church. I don't know why I'm sounding East Texas right now, but. <laughs> now, you would never say this, and I'm not equating those two directly, but indirectly. Ultimately, what you're saying is, I don't want heaven to get too big. Oh, so you want hell to get bigger? Oh, no, pastor. No. Of course I don't want hell to get bigger. Of course I want heaven to get bigger. Well, if the mission of the church is making disciples so that they're in relationship with their father, 
then if the church is getting bigger, then hell's getting smaller. Heaven's getting bigger. But we equate those two like they're somehow mutually exclusive and that getting big is bad. But we don't think that way when it comes to other nonprofits. The, the nonprofits we partner with, like Serve International, Haiti Cherie, Compassion International, we, we just had a big push for that, right? We want you to sign up and sponsor some kids and go on mission. We want you to do all those things. Why? Because there are more kids that need to know Jesus. There are more hungry people that need to be fed. Why is it bad for Serve to be bigger? It's not, and you would never say so. But in the church context, we put these artificial limits on and say, well, I don't want to go to a church where nobody knows me. Agreed. But about the most amount of people that you can know in a church is about 100. Guess what the average size is? About 100. The goal is not for you to know everybody. The goal is for you to know somebody and be known, right? But we can't talk context about it's bad for the church to multiply. It is not bad. It is good, right, and holy, because the mission of the church is making disciples. So if the church is growing, the mission is growing. Now, it's not all about Revolution Church. Hear me say that. That's what three to five is. We don't want to just multiply as a church. We want to multiply churches. We want to multiply churches beyond Revolution Church. Why? Because we believe, and I didn't come up with this statement, J.D. Greer, who's now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, did, a church is real health is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. A church, yes, you can clap for that. Come on, Jasper, I know you're quick with me, all right? What makes us great is not necessarily big in size, and I know that's what people mean, but what makes us great is big in impact. So the goal in making disciples is to bring them in, train them up, send them out, right? That's level five. That's multiplication, and that's what you see happening. Now, when you make that your vision, you will have administrative problems, Anything that grows goes through awkward stages, right? My son, growing, went through adolescence, grew in like three, four inches in a year. Awkward, right? His body's growing, and then everything else has got to catch up to it. His mind, right? His teeth. You know, you go through those weird stages when you lose a baby teeth, and the, and the adult teeth haven't come in yet, and we had to go see doctors and, you know, get them pulled down and pay a lot of money, Right? Because I want to do him, a favor, him and his wife a favor later on, right? I want his teeth straight. So there's all these awkward things. But here's where, here, listen to me, here's where most level three churches start becoming level two churches because they don't deal with the problems. And the administrative problems almost always is someone is being overlooked. That's exactly what happened in Acts 6. The Hellenists were complaining that their widows were being overlooked. What is a Hellenist? A Hellenist was a Jewish person, ethnically Jewish, religiously Jewish, but grew up in a Greek and Roman world, so they spoke Greek. Culturally, they were different. Hebrews were a Jewish person that grew up religiously, ethnically Jewish, but also culturally, socially Jewish, and so they would speak Aramaic. So these two groups were both in the church, and what was happening is these two groups weren't not having their needs met, and this is exactly what happens in any growing church. But most churches start to say, oh, 
if our needs aren't being met, then let's stop quitting to reach new people. Let's just take care of our needs. And that's when the church died and they didn't even know it. The solution is not let's keep, let's stop going after new people. The solution is let's raise up people from within to take care of the needs. To raise up people. And that's exactly what they do. Look at this, verse 2. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, we got to talk here for a second, because if you just read that cursory, you think, man, those apostles sure were arrogant. They wouldn't serve tables. Not what they said. They said, it's not right for us to give up preaching in order to. Doesn't mean they would never do it. But in this context, in order for them to solve that problem, they would have to give up preaching and praying in order to do that. And they said, that's not right. So we need to go out and raise up seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Now, here's what's so important. Anything great has been accomplished by people who stayed focused on the vision and the mission. During my break this last June, if you were here, uh, it, the reason why it was so helpful is not just because I needed a break, but because I got a chance just to pray and spend time with the Lord and say, God, this is your church. What's your vision for it? And during that season, God was really working in my heart, and that's where all this three to five stuff came from. That's where God kind of started putting all this together and saying, you got the mission down. Now let's, let's talk about the vision because the vision is going to shape how you do the mission. And the, the vision is three to five is to be a multiplying type of church, to, to make a movement of multiplication happen. And so that's where we really started wrestling with that. And what I was reading during those times, a lot of eBooks, a lot of the Bible, a lot of different things, I came across a statement that I thought was just amazing. And I'm going to share it with you. It's not on the screen, but I'll read it. A guy by the name of Peter Drucker wrote it. He was probably the management guru in the 20th century. He also personally discipled Rick Warren, which if you know who that is, you understand why now, because Peter Drucker invested in him personally. And this is what he said. He said, the single-minded ones, the monomaniacs, are the only true achievers. When anything is being accomplished, it is being done, I have learned, with a, by a monomaniac with a mission. When I read that, I was like, that's my new title. That's what I want on my tombstone. Monomaniac with a mission. Now, what is the word monomaniac? Break it down. Mono means one. Maniac means maniacal, obsessive. So a monomaniac is someone who's obsessive with one thing. And I thought, that's it. I want to be obsessive over one thing, and that is multiplying the mission of making disciples. That is why I exist. That is why God has called me and gifted me to lead. And then you're sitting there thinking, yeah, we already knew you were a maniac. I mean, like you had to be, right? You, you wouldn't have come to revolution if you didn't have some kind of twitch in your eye and craziness and, and still leading it, right? But what I'm saying to you is this. Very simply, our church is going to be monomaniacal. We are obsessive about one thing, and that one thing is multiplying the mission of making disciples. That is what the apostles were saying. The reason why you are sitting in the seats today is because the original 12 were monomaniacal. Aren't you so glad that they didn't get obsessed with just trying to solve the problems of the church in Jerusalem? Because if they would have got stuck on the problems with the church in Jerusalem, 
we wouldn't have a church in Canton. But they stayed focused on the vision of multiplying the mission of making disciples. That's what they're saying. We can't give this up. We can't come off the vision. This is Nehemiah on the wall. The work that I'm doing is too great. I cannot come down. And so they stay focused. They're not saying they won't serve people. They're not saying they won't serve tables. Obviously, Jesus, who they were discipled by, washed their feet, said, I've given you an example. That is not what he's saying. They're not saying we won't be servant leaders. They're saying we cannot come off of this. And in order for us not to come off of this, we've got to discover, develop, and deploy some leaders in this mission. And the type of leaders that they were looking for, I love it. Here's the category. Experienced leaders with a nice resume. Is that what it said? No. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now let's talk about those two quickly. I say this often, but on either side of the road is a ditch. It's where my religion professor said that. So there's multiple ways to be wrong is the point. And in church world, the two ditches typically are... You kind of got the Holy Spirit side over here, which is more called charismatics. And then you got more like the doctrinal side over here, which in, in theological circles, more conservative, we'll just use wisdom. And so you got these two things and typically churches kind of gravitate one more to the other. Here's what I love about what the early disciples said. Hey, we want people full of both. We want people full of both. We want people to have right doctrine full of the Holy Spirit. And most often in church world, you have one of the other. Here's what I'm saying to you. We're going to live in the tension of being full of both. We believe in right doctrine, and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in studying our Bibles, and we believe in the experiential power of the Holy Spirit. Why do those two have to be you know, always portrayed as mutually exclusive? So yes, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but no, we don't believe that every believer got the same gifts. Why? Because Paul said it. We believe people do speak in tongues. Yes and amen. But Paul also said, hey, don't just do that in a service. Because if you're just falling out in a service speaking tongues and a new person comes in, they're going to think these people are crazy. I'm out of here. So he said, it's better to prophesy. Holy Spirit and wisdom. Right? So here's what we're saying. The type of people that we're looking for are people full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You may think, I don't have the experience to make disciples. That's okay. Do you have the Holy Spirit and do you have right doctrine? You can be apprenticed into it. Look at, look at the list of the guys. And what they said, please, the whole gathering, verse 5. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I love that. And Philip and Prochorus. You know, that was the worship leader because he was pro-chorus, right? And... <laughs> Nicanor and Timon and Pumbaa and, uh, I mean, Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Don't you think that all six or all seven of those dudes were like, we're not qualified to do this? Yeah, but are you full of the Holy Spirit and do you have wisdom? We can apprentice you into the rest. What we're saying here at Revolution Church, that's the point. We want men and women full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is more than just knowledge because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Again, in church world, we have put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable where we say, if you know a lot of stuff, then you're mature. No, the Bible says if you know a lot of stuff, it makes you arrogant. Knowledge is different than wisdom. Wisdom is I know how to apply the knowledge. Wisdom is I know how to bring somebody up in the knowledge. Wisdom is I don't just beat them over the head with the knowledge, right? Wisdom is, 
I know what to do and when to do it. Full of the Holy Spirit is you're full of the gifts and you're full of the fruit. That doesn't mean you all have the same gifts again, but you do all have the same fruit. So you're gifted and you're fruited. I don't know of other way to say that, right? Like all believers should have the same fruit. Not all believers have the same gifts. This is not hard. We just make it so complicated. And why? Because the devil would much rather just get us confused over doctrine than actually going after and making more disciples. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So love, joy, peace, patience, all that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you got the Holy Spirit and you got wisdom, we need you in this vision of multiplying the mission of making disciples. You think, I can't do that. Neither did Nicanor. The, next, the very next section, I loved it. Stephen, who was just chosen, gets stoned. And I don't mean with weed, all right? <laughs> he gets killed. You're like, why do you love that? Because he didn't waste his life. I would much rather die young going after the mission than die old and never do anything purposeful. So would you, right? And see, here's the thing. People think, people start thinking, man, if we raise up all these leaders and we send them out, what happens to us? We send all these people to Jasper. We're losing our best leaders. No, you didn't lose them. You sent them. And now you have an opportunity to raise up new leaders because guess what? The leader that we just sent used to not be a leader three or four years ago. And people are like, what if we raise up all these people and they leave? That's the wrong question. What if we don't raise up all these people and they stay? Far too long, that's what the vision and mission of the church was. And it wasn't what Jesus wanted because you see what he wanted in Acts. The vision is multiplication. Multiplication of the mission of making disciples. In order to make disciples, we actually have to make disciples who make disciples. And the multiplication can occur. So three is addition. Five is multiplication. And when you make that your vision, look at verse six and seven. Then they set... These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples. What's that next word there? Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The result of saying focused on the mission was that the word of God increased now, this is where it's a little confusion in English. That word there in Greek for increase is not the same word of verse one of increase. The word in verse one is the same word in verse six of multiplied. I told you that earlier. So the word there, multiply, increase. But the word there for increase that is used about the word of God is the Greek word oxano, which means to grow. What in the world does it mean for the word of God to grow? Does that mean they made more copies of the Bible and, you know, spread them out? No, because they didn't have the Bible then. They did not have the New Testament then. All they had was the Old Testament and the power of the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't have called it the Old Testament. They just called it the Scriptures. And then we wrote down through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the rest of the New Testament. Now we've got our Bible. That didn't come for centuries later. But what they did have, the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and the word of God increased. What does that mean? 
Well, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing through uh, bone and marrow. What does that mean? What does it mean for the word of God to increase? It means it did its intended effect of making a disciple. How is a disciple made? By the preaching and application of the word of God. That's the point. Isaiah 55.11, God says... My word I sent out goes and accomplishes its purpose. It never returns to me void. Luke chapter 8, our whole mission comes out of it's the word of God that's planted and takes root and grows fruit and multiplies. It's the word. So when it says the word of God increased, what that means is people were discipled. Then it says, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. My friends, if we want those days to be these days, then we have to have a monomaniacal obsession about the mission and vision of multiplying, making disciples. And what I'm saying is, as a church, that is the vision. That is where we're headed. And how does that look? That looks, as a church, that we're saying, listen, yes, we want addition. We want people to be added, but we want them to be multiplied. And so, yes, we're going to send people to Jasper. Yes, we're going to send people out to Kenya, to other places. Yes, we're going to start other campuses. But it doesn't mean that we're just going to start other campuses. There's some things already happening that you may not even know about. If you were here last year, we talked about the two churches that we started in Kenya. Even though those have our name, they're not necessarily under our authority. We're raising up pastors, and those are independent churches. We also started something last year just out of the need that arose of us doing Serve Saturdays of an ESL class, which means English and Second Language. And Zip and Hernan, two of our staff guys, have been doing that. We've got about 60 to 70 people coming every week to learn English as a second language. Oh, and by the way, afterwards, we do a church service where my sermon is preached in Spanish, and our small group notes are translated into Spanish, and our goal is to turn that into a church. Right now... It's a ministry, but we want to turn that into a church. Just a few months ago, we started a microsite. What is that? I'll tell you about it in a few weeks. Down at the Arbor is off exit 11, which is an active adult community. Now our church is operating inside of that. One of our group leaders we sent there, now they've got about 28 people coming and four people have trusted Christ there this year. That is multiplication. Same in Jasper. Almost 100 people have trusted Christ in Jasper this year, right? But it's, it's not all about Revolution Church. It's not just about our church or, or doing things as revolution. Oh, no, it's about raising up and sending out other churches. And so there will be churches that we start that don't have our name. I'll bring a guy up in the next, I don't know if it'll happen this series or next, but soon, a guy that our network, our church planning network, us and other churches around Atlanta have discipled this guy, resident in him. We're going to send him out. He's starting a church in Paulding County called Creekside Church. And I'm going to bring him up here and I'm going to ask some of you to go with him. Because you may live there, you may have family members there, but we should send you out. And people are like, oh, don't send our best people. Again, We're not losing, we're sending. Because what happens if they stay? So it's not all about Revolution Church. This is a vision that I can feel like I can give the next 30 to 40 years of my life to. I do not want to sit around and stick around. I don't know what that means. I do not want to sit around and figure out how to administrate a large church. That sounds horrible to me. Because administration is not my gifting. Ask anybody who knows me. But I do want to sit around and figure out a vision of trying to be a multiplying church. And as we multiply, we'll figure out how to administrate it. 
So when we talk about vision over the next few weeks, I want you to understand we're headed in this direction of being level three to level five. Why? Because we want the number of disciples to multiply greatly. Now, the last thing there it says, and I, and I can't miss this because it, Luke threw it in for a reason. It says, and a number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, when it says priests, do not think Catholic Church because the Catholic Church didn't exist yet. That didn't come to 300 AD when Constantine baptized the Roman Empire and made the one holy Catholic Church. But the first 300 years, there was not the Catholic Church. There was just the church. And priests were Jewish priests. Think of it better like this, simply religious people that didn't know Jesus. Now, I'm pretty sure none of you in here are Jewish priests or Catholic priests. If you are, welcome. But there's a lot of you in here that are religious. You're checking all the boxes. You're attending service. You got baptized. Hey, you even throw some money in the bucket. but you're living your life at a have to instead of get to. You want to know religious people from irreligious people? Joy. Religious people do what they do because they have to and God owes them. Jesus people do what they do because they get to. So there may be some of you here that you would fall more into that religious category and what I'm saying to you today is simply this. This will be your opportunity to be obedient to the faith. And that starts first and foremost by trusting Jesus. But there's some of you that you've trusted Jesus. You made a decision, but you have no intention of being discipled. You have no intention of someone coming alongside your life and saying, listen, you got to do money different. You got to do relationships different. You got to do health different. That's the role of the church. And so what I'm saying very simply today is this. This is the vision that Jesus laid out for his church. And you and I get the privilege and honor of being a part of it. But don't think simply because you come to church, you're a part of it. You're a part of it when you're discipled. And you make disciples. And you go after the multiplication of making disciples. Not because you attend a service or you're in a group or you've even joined the church but you're actively involved in the mission of the church let's pray Father thank you thank you for creating the church yes the church is messed up She's Jesus' bride. Yes, we have flaws. But you're making us. Thank you for the promise of the gospel is that you who began a good work in us will complete it. You started it, you'll finish it. And all we're saying again, God, just like the white flag that flies outside of our building, we're saying we surrender again to your vision, your mission of multiplying, making your disciples. We're putting it front and center. We're going after it by your spirit in wisdom. But God, I know 
that there are people in the house or listening right now who've never made a decision. They've never begun the discipleship process where they've trusted Jesus and been baptized. And maybe they've been religious for a long time. But they don't know Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about who we know. So I pray right now, God, you'd save. You'd open eyes by your Holy Spirit. You'd regenerate. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you feel like God is opening your eyes and you now see the truth about who Jesus is, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. And now you respond in faith by confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart, and God will save you. He will regenerate you. He will make your spirit come alive. So if that's you, if you want to trust Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray, not out loud, but after me. It goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. That You sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Now, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that, would you just very simply lift your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women walking around gonna put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. We wanna know who you are. Again, help you with this process. But in the rest of us, and especially those of us who would say we've made a decision, let me ask you a very simple question. Are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Are you learning from Jesus so that you can live like Jesus? We wanna help you in that process. Again, we haven't figured this out yet, but we'll be rolling out some some process steps, some things, and helping people to be, we're gonna disciple some people, they're gonna disciple some people. We can't institute a program because programs don't make disciples, people do. But all we're saying today is very simply, are you ready to be discipled, the obedience part, so that you can make disciples, the work part? Are you ready to say to the Lord, all my life is yours? My marriage, my time, my money, my kids, my talents, it's all yours. That's what it takes. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple if you don't take up your, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That means leave everything. Jesus isn't just after your heart. He ain't that shallow. He's after it all. And I'm telling you, if you let him disciple you through the church, your joy and your purpose will go off the charts. So get ready, church. I'm just saying. This is the vision of multiplying the mission of making disciples. How does it all look yet? I don't know. Where do we go next? I don't know. What town, what city needs a church, needs a campus? <laughs> I don't know. But what I do know will never come off the vision of telling more people about Jesus. And you and I get the privilege of being a part of it. Let's not let any complaint or any administrative issue or any drama get us off the mission. Let's deal with it and let's move on.
Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.